0: You are now listening to Completely Creative with Daniel Reese, a podcast for analyzing, building, and arguing for
1: all things creative. Creative, creative, creative,
0: creative, creative. Lend me your ears while I dissect creativity in all its forms in an effort to inspire you to find a new creative edge in some area of your life. Let's go! What's up, guys? Daniel Reese here. Today's episode, we'll be speaking with Ansgar Strother about micromobility. And I've had the pleasure of working with Ansgar Strother for a better chunk of this year of 2020. And I've really had the pleasure to learn a lot about micromobility and the role that it can serve not only now, but as we move forward in the future and it evolves. The entire way that people travel from point A to point B is changing through micromobility. And before we dive into that, how would one define micromobility? So micromobility is transportation using lightweight vehicles such as electric scooters, bicycles, or even electric pedal-assisted bicycles. And those are borrowed as part of the self-service rental program in which people rent vehicles for short-term use within a town or a city. Micromobility constitutes ...forms of transportation that can occupy spaces alongside your cars and your buses and your other public transit. It's become far more efficient of a way to travel short distance. And short distance is a significant amount of travel relative to travel in general. E-scooters and e-bikes are much, much cheaper to produce over cars and buses. And they're also much more eco-friendly and due to the smaller size they make better use of spaces for parking and storing away. As cities face this rapid population growth, the need to move more residents through existing transportation networks is becoming more and more important, and this is the role that micromobility fills. But I think the potential extends well beyond connecting people to just mass transit. More than half of the car trips taken annually in the U.S. alone, it covers less than five miles, that makes those journeys widely open to these short-range alternatives, such as your bikes and your scooters, your skateboards, and any other future mode of transportation that results because of this industry. I haven't even gotten into the health benefits of recreational use. Just the idea of being out in nature, soaking up the sun, observing things on your ride that you don't normally observe when you're in a car. Let's dive into all that with Ansgar right now. All right, guys, we are speaking with Ansgar Strother. How's it going, man? Doing well today. Good. It's excited to have you on here and uh, go through some of these questions here. So giving a little bit of context here, Ansgar is the CEO of Movatic. But to start with that, how would you describe Movatic to somebody who has no knowledge of the company whatsoever?
1: Great. Right. So uh, first off, Daniel, thanks for having me here today. So to describe Novatic, I like thinking of it as we're really your partner in technology. So we happen to create some of the best software in the industry to allow you to you know, share scooters, share bikes, e-bikes, kayaks, and a whole host of other assets. But first and foremost, we're your tech partner.
0: Awesome. And I think that's a really... Short and sweet description of somebody who would have no idea of what Movatic's all about. So, with that being said, what made you start Movatic?
1: Yeah, so Movatic really uh, came very organically out of my first startup, which was a uh, bike share hardware company. We ended up licensing it off to several companies, including Motivate, Zaxter, and OnBikeShare. And as we were doing that licensing process, OnBikeShare came to us and said, Hey, we really love this lock, but you know, we're not a software team. And as we had sort of gone out to the marketplace, we were seeing that everyone was looking towards how do I start bringing my experience to you know, a smartphone? How am I gonna start kind of adopting sharing as part of my business model? And what became really clear very quickly was that it didn't make sense for every company to be out there building the same you know kind of core functionality around managing users, rentals, right. assets. and. You know, sort of as a, a second point, we also really felt that you know as more operators came into space, it was going to be important to build out really an ecosystem and have you know sort of a marketplace app which we've created with uh, the Mobatic app where you can have a bunch of different operators all living together.
0: Awesome, and going back to what you said, a lot of people are looking for your bike shares, your scooter shares because the industry as a whole is not only growing rapidly but it's changing and it's warping to the needs of each individual city that takes it on and so for you you're obviously having to meet specific needs for specific people but who are those ideal customers that you look for and what specific problems do you solve for those people
1: yeah so we're really looking for you know any entrepreneur any large-scale operator who's looking to have that tech partner to be able to scale faster and focus on what they really care about, which is their community. We really believe that local operators, even larger operators that have a local presence, understand at a a very kind of fundamental uh, level their markets better, and we want to be there to give those companies the scale to have world-class software, something that they could never develop on their own.
0: Definitely. When you factor in building software and helping customers, it's a lot of moving pieces it's very time consuming and as I mentioned before the the industry is constantly changing and evolving and With that being said, how do you continue to learn in order to stay on top of those things in your role as a, a CEO or facilitator of these services?
1: Yeah, and I think you know I'm lucky because we're working with some of the smartest, motivated people within the industry and You know, I think for us, we've always, as being a partner, are looking to listen, to understand what's working well, what's not, and what the future is. And by working with so many different operators, we have, I think, our ear in kind of every market across the world, so it gives us a unique perspective that we're then able to return kind of the favor to our partners with.
0: Yeah, and I think a really big benefit of working with as many partners as Movatic does It's just the fact that because everyone has different needs, you're learning so many different variables and perspectives to figure out what does work and what may not work well, because for a lot of these entrepreneurs or people first starting off, they might get overwhelmed with the amount of things that they have to figure out or get prepared before they can be really sustainable and successful. So what is something that you wish you had known when you first entered this space?
1: That's a great question. And um, one that's asked pretty commonly. I think the thing that I wish I had understood in this space is just how creative people can be in, you know, setting up a system, configuring kind of a business model to really target their specific customers. And one of the things that we're really proud of is as we've worked with customers, we've really learned and understood on how to make a system that's highly configurable that you can operate at scale, but still makes the system at a local level feel like it's designed for that specific community.
0: Definitely, and the customization factor is really big because as things are constantly changing and evolving, you wanna be malleable to be able to accommodate those changes without having to just halt your operations to kind of pivot and have those changes done. And so that can present a lot of challenges for a lot of people. So what, like, what do you see as the biggest challenges to the micromobility industry growth?
1: Yeah, so actually, let me go back and sort of give an example, which I'll, I'll use then for this story here. Sure. So a, a small thing around kind of customization is we're able to have a different tutorial for each system we have. And while that sounds like a really simple kind of feature it's unique in the industry but what it allows us to do is to create a custom experience for a user that when they're renting a scooter you know and, and be this in the same app or bike in the same market they get a different walkthrough and i think the challenge we've seen in the industry is that it's hard for operators to expand geographically but it's easy for a market, for an operator to expand within a community to go from just offering scooters to then offering in e-bikes or other assets. So, you know, as we talk about that configurability and flexibility, that's where we really can see our ability to come in and help um, operators expand by allowing them to launch multiple asset types, multiple business markets, all in the same market.
0: So in other words, you would say going deep is better than going wide. Uh,
1: Yep, I would agree
0: with that. Okay, cool. I think that's a good way to to sum up the way that that works. And that's always what I was taught in marketing, uh, rather than going wide and trying to get a bunch of people, taking the few people that you know, like your product and service and like you as a person, and just going even deeper with those people and deepening those relationships. Because uh, from that, you not only get a more loyal customer base, but they may recommend other people from their circle to you. And those people already come in as very warm leads because of the relationship that you've built. Now with this year in particular, COVID-19 has basically dominated the way a lot of businesses worked. Yeah. And so how has it impacted MoVatic and the industry as a whole this year?
1: Yeah, I think it's been a double-edged sword for the industry because on the one hand, what's safer than, you know, more socially distanced than getting on a bike, getting on a scooter. You're outdoors, you know, Mm -hmm. not in a confined area. On the other side, it's decimated kind of out of state tourism, international tourism. So I think for a lot of operators, what we saw was an initial shock where, oh my gosh, I don't have commuters going into work anymore. What happened to my tourism too? Then uh, a repositioning to focus more on local recreational usage. And our software really supports recreational usage well with the ability to do multiple rates, couponing. So we were able to really support our operators in that transition and something I'm quite proud of.
0: Yeah. And I love the point of people pivoting to even more of a recreational use. That's something that I did personally this year, where I went from not riding a bike too often to riding almost five days a week, because When you're at home all day, every day, and you're looking for any reason to just get out the house and go explore, but sort of do it in a responsible and safe way, bikes, scooters, anything on the micromobility side is still a safe way and reliable way to not only commute from A to Z, but to continue to be safe. You know, at the end of the day, hopping on a bike or hopping on a scooter is still very fun, but it's not like you have 20 people on a scooter so it's just also safe and i've seen how some of these cities are accommodating by having these sanitation stations and then going back to what you said about the custom tutorials they'll throw in just the responsibility of maybe cleaning off the handles or the seat and just being aware of the situation that we're in right now so i think that those are all really good points
1: Yeah, I was just going to add, and I think that's really important to remember to still you are contacting a service to be washing your hands and supporting operators in those tutorials is something we've definitely jumped on doing.
0: And of course, you know, people should still be washing their hands and doing all these other things to stay clean. But I think now it's just more prevalent than ever that people are aware of these things and keeping them at the front of their mind. So we can continue to make this a reliable system for everyone. But as things change and evolve and uh, we adapt, what would you say is the biggest area in your role as a CEO and a facilitator that you're curious about right now and why?
1: So I, I think, you know, for anyone in their career, it's always really important to continue to learn and grow. I'm a big advocate and believer of, you know, reading or as it would be listening to audiobooks regularly. And for kind of personal area growth, I think the CEO role is so interesting in that if you're at least doing, at least in my view, doing the job right, it's really about enabling others to do their best work. So how is it that you can set up an environment where people are supported and empowered to be able to go out and, you know, achieve phenomenal things as a team? So anything where I can learn to improve those skills is definitely something I'm looking and checking out.
0: Awesome. I agree 1000%. And the book thing really resonates with me is that's also probably a habit I picked up about three years ago, or maybe I'm reading two to three books every single month now. And there are just so many options out there that, you know, not only for books, but just in general, where people can probably get overwhelmed just by looking for, where a starting place is, do you have any particular book recommendations for people in not only this industry, but maybe in a, maybe a leadership role?
1: Yeah. um, A a lot of great ones out there. So I'll just go with one that I did recently that I really enjoyed, uh, Atomic Habits, being intentional about the habits that you're developing and creating. I think that's really important when you have so many things going on, in your life and different things on really developing that discipline to stay focused, to, you know, have that focus and to really enable the rest of your team to function as well.
0: Yeah. Atomic Habits is a great book. So for anyone listening, if you're looking for a book to pick up in the near future, that's one I recommend. It's also very critically acclaimed. So the reviews and things will also speak for themselves. And I think that's a really good stepping stone for, in terms of self-development, just widening your accomplishments and your possibilities and I imagine for somebody in your position being able to read and develop habits is I would say probably one of the most important things you can do and I'm just curious what would you say is like your biggest accomplishment professionally right now
1: yeah so uh, I mean I'm really proud of the team we've pulled, to get, uh, pulled together and, you know, the the product and partners we've able to pull together. I mean, Movatic is a, a bootstrap company. So I think it's just been incredible what the team has accomplished around that.
0: I think so too. And especially in a market where a lot of businesses are either stagnant or kind of trending downward. I think Movatic has taken a huge leap in the last couple of years as far as adapting to the industry and really hitting a stride. And you know, a lot of that comes down to leadership, the team and the decision-making process for how things are executed. Now, I'm curious, how would you describe your decision-making process? So for example, would you base decisions more on gut or on trends or data and, and why?
1: Yeah. So first off, I got to give a, a plug saying that I'm a Michigan man. So um, I believe in the team, the team, mm-hmm. the team. So really, I think it's about everyone being empowered to make data-driven decisions. So, you know, I, I think that the the part, if you're doing the entrepreneurial process right, is about let's go and try something and then let's actually collect some data to see if it worked. So. You know, a a lot of times I think it's easy to fall into a mode where you're like, okay, we have to have a certain amount of data before we do anything, at which point nothing happens. But if you don't have that data side, then you never know if you've actually accomplished anything either.
0: Yeah, I think that there's a kind of a fine line between balancing getting enough data and being able to take action on that data and realizing that speed is better than perfection. You know, if you don't get started, then you have no results to really build off of. So is any part of that process based on gut at all? Or is it mostly just data for you? I think at a
1: certain point, being an entrepreneur is creating something new. So mm-hmm. there is a level of gut in all of this here, uh, saying that, you know, I've talked to all these people. I've... I've uh, I see a market need, you know, they say they're willing to do something, but at some point you actually have to see if people are willing to do it, if it can be built, you know, does it work as you expect? And that's where I think, you know, kind of doing your homework, taking that risk, and then measuring religiously to see if that bet made sense. That's kind of the the true entrepreneurial process and then iterate a thousand times and you'll probably end up in a pretty good space.
0: Yeah, I agree with all of that for sure. At the end of the day, without any action being taken, you really have no results because I see a lot of times with not only in this industry, but for entrepreneurs or as as they're called in general, where they'll watch tons of YouTube videos, they'll read tons of books, all of these good habits, but then just take no action on them. So a lot of times when people say knowledge is power, I add in that applied knowledge is power because you can have all the knowledge in the world and it gets you nowhere if you're not actually executing on the things that you're learning. And so for the entrepreneurs, there are key things that they need to be focused on, especially when they're launching a micromobility system. So Mm -hmm. what key things would you highlight to somebody who is kind of in the beginning phases and launching that they should be focused on?
1: Yeah. So I think it's really important to try to figure out when you're launching a business, what can you be best at the world at? So when you're starting as a small company, not a lot of things that you can be best at the world at, but you do have some advantages uh, compared to anybody else. You know your local market better than anyone, and especially someone that's at a large corporate headquarters. Right. So finding that specific market, be it the, the hotel that's looking to offer an amenity, apartment complex or a corporate campus that you could offer this as a service, you know, as a monthly service to, finding those specific, specific niches, and then really focusing in on the part that differentiates your business, which is those specific markets, finding the right hardware partner, finding the right software partner, working with great people on insurance so that you can focus your time and effort onto offering that great service to that specific market you found. And then of course, once you have success, scale rapidly, you know, but. Once you have that success, that's going to be the catalyst that allows you to grow and kind of build the business that you dream of long-term.
0: Absolutely. And a couple of points on what you just said. Niching is something that I don't think a lot of people understand how important that is. As the saying goes, the riches are in the niches. And you can look at this in almost any industry. People that are really laser focused in one area and a specialist in one area. Those are the people who, I mean, I guess if money is a a factor for them, those are the people who tend to make the most revenue and have the most kind of success as a company. But on the flip side of that, around building a team, not thinking that you have to do every single thing. And I liken that to like the Justice League. Every hero in the Justice League has their own unique set of abilities. And so... From the entrepreneurial standpoint, it's your job to say, I'm really good at this thing. And now we need to find our Superman over here. We need to find our Wonder Woman. We need to find our Flash because these people are good at these specific roles. And together we make a really good team and a force to be reckoned with. And so not even in the micro mobility side, that is just kind of baseline entrepreneurial information, but Again, going back to the the niche part, I always use the analogy of a dentist. So let's say if you go to the dentist and you tell him you want to get your teeth done, teeth cleaned, you know, whatever you want to call it. And the dentist says, okay, I can clean your teeth. But if you're interested, I can also do your taxes. I can mow your lawn. I can do your plumbing. And then he goes on this long list of things that he could do for you. But it suddenly makes you question the main thing that he should be known for which is cleaning teeth because you can only allocate so much time and energy to being good at something so if you're spread that thin it's hard to find that really good balance or that stride so that's why the riches are the niches now kind of going a little bit off the topic here and going back to micromobility so one thing i was curious about is from the outside looking in And especially for me, jumping into the micromobility industry, I'm learning a ton of things about how things work and dispelling a lot of these, I guess, common misconceptions. Are there any particular common misconceptions about the micromobility industry that you hear about routinely from people that are on the outside looking in or people that are just new to the industry?
1: I think one of the things that people don't talk enough about is how much of this industry is driven by recreation. So when you talk about, you know, kind of micro mobility, we all think about like, Hey, this is for a quick trip from getting me to point A to B. But if you look at the ridership and especially around what a lot of successful entrepreneurs are starting their businesses around, it's really around, you know, recreation, going out, cruising around town, heck, just enjoying the ride and then expanding into that, you know, more mobility focused uh, usage. So not saying either is one is more important than the other, but really that there they're two equal parts of this industry, one of which doesn't get as much attention as it probably deserves.
0: That's an interesting point because for me, my riding has been probably 80% recreational. I live a few miles from one of the biggest parks in the entire country. And so by being able to ride down there and kind of do a leisurely stroll, as I did it more and more often and I started bringing people with me, I was noticing things that were just a few miles from my house that I had never noticed before from particular parks or some really nice views or even some really cool historical statues that I know have been around for forever, but just never noticed it because when you're in a car, your your mindset is completely different. You're most likely getting somewhere a little faster than you need to and you're most likely more paying attention to music or maybe somebody else in the car versus being on a bike or a scooter taking it a little slower and being able to actually take in those surroundings whether that is a statue or even a local business or just an interesting building that you haven't seen i think that is something that isn't really talked about a whole lot but it goes a long way it really deepens your Your perspective on your own city, especially when it's right beside you. Now, learning things about my city, and maybe even things about myself, I guess for somebody in your position who hasn't been kind of front facing for your business a ton, I'm curious, what is something that most people don't know about you?
1: So this is just a fun random fact here.
0: Yes, you um, like fun random facts.
1: <laughs> okay, so the first 26 years of my life, I lived on an open building permit. So my parents built their own home. And then when I uh, got married and moved in with my uh, wife, we were finishing out our basement. So uh, a fun random fact there. So I'm going to really enjoy sort of construction on the side um, and, and sort of the renovation
0: stuff. You're into the renovation stuff, huh? And the thing with renovation, I don't have a ton of experience with that myself, but renovation, just like micromobility or any of these other projects, it requires a level of creativity. And even if it's just a passion project, I've always, always emphasized the importance of having a creative hobby or something that builds a creativity because that allows you to approach things from a business standpoint and just from an overall life standpoint You're not looking at things just in a linear way. You're realizing that, okay, I'm looking at either a problem or just life in general, and I'm able to tackle it from many different approaches, which really deepens who you are as a person and your understanding about how life works and how you respond to certain things. So I think it's very important to have those hobbies, whether it is something around the house or picking up a paintbrush and and doing something creative that way.
1: Well, I think that's really why I love the job. And I really think all of the team loves it is because every day we get to work with highly passionate people and really work with them on how do we problem solve and iterate to allow them to accomplish their dreams. So I think that's a very creative and rewarding process.
0: Do you have any other creative hobbies as far as building that creative energy or is that kind of your main one there?
1: got that one, um, the job, and then really the other hobbies are about kind of getting some exercise, getting outdoors, uh, really enjoy hiking, backpacking, and skiing. Um, It's something my wife and I both really enjoy doing together.
0: Yeah, and a really interesting part to kind of add on to that, a lot of entrepreneurs, it's not a surprise, and I, I bring this up a lot, but it's not a surprise when you see a high level entrepreneur who is in really, really good shape, maybe even jacked, because they're realizing not only is their mental health and their mental capacity very important, but as that scales, you have to scale your self-care on top of that as well. And so the people that I kind of have in my inner circle who make, you know, 100K, 100 million, whatever, annually, monthly, you name it, these are the people who have such crazy, like, work hard, play hard activities. And uh, one of my friends, we went to Thailand, and we were on an island, Koh Samui. We were there for about a week in a villa out there. And his his level of like self care, I thought I was doing a lot for self care, but he really kind of had a light bulb moment for me in terms of how he was doing things. And this guy was going to bed at like eight p.m. and stuff. Not something I'll ever do, but. You know, when we got out there, we were getting massages almost every day. We were going to shooting ranges, doing shopping, and we had a chef that was just cooking us meals. Like the level of self care that we had was something that honestly kind of changed my perspective on it as a whole. And so that's just one thing that I try to drive home for people who are in these positions that are not always going to be the most fun. I mean, the journey is not always sexy. A lot of times it's probably not sexy at all. So that's why the self-care part is very, very important. Now, with that being said, is there anything else that you would like to add that you don't think that we have covered? I think the one
1: thing I would add is just kind of the golden age that we're living in for starting your own business. It has never been easier to find kind of a niche To go out, partner with a company uh, like Movatic on the software, partner with other hardware manufacturers, and to launch a business that brings something to your community and provides you with stable income that you can continue to grow from. So, for anyone thinking through it, looking at doing it, really encourage you to follow through and uh, you won't regret it. I think the future of micromobility and really broaden it out even say of rental and sharing is it to become really more ubiquitous and connected. And what I mean by that is right now you have to download a specific app, even though we don't really care about what apps the content is in. I think mm-hmm. the future is when you get to a hotel, you know, and you're, you're using the Hilton app or on the Hilton website, you'll be able to see that there's a scooter or bike in front and be able to check it out as part of that kind of standard flow. As part of an employee, you'll be able to check and rent out an asset part of the you know, employee website or employee app that you already have, instead of having all these different kind of concepts, uh, different assets segmented. And that's something that you know we've been, as kind of the tech company, really focused on working towards. We're going to be rolling out, beginning of next year, a fully public API. We'll be the only company doing this where every single capability will be available, Two developers from our platform to integrate and pull into their existing experiences. So I I think that's the future is greater connectivity so that these services can be completely ubiquitous.
0: Love it. Now for anyone who is specific on the micromobility industry in general, where would you direct them to get started?
1: To get in contact with us. So check out movatic. We got some great blog. Post of materials there and uh, reach out to our team and we'd be happy to work with you to get your business launched.
0: Awesome. Anscar! everyone. Thanks for hopping on and chatting. I hope that you guys listening from your phones and laptops got something substantive for this. I think this was a fun little chat and I hope to see you guys or hear from you guys soon. All right, guys, that's the end of the episode with Mr. Micromobility himself, Ansgar Strother. Now to finish this off, I think it's just as important to realize the tremendous opportunity that bikes and scooters themselves have in not only their usability, but the business models in which they exist. And that's something that I don't think is talked about enough. And that comes down to targeting specific areas to keep ridership efficient and actually useful to the people that it's designed to serve, ensuring adequate safety for riders and system operators, in collaborating with city officials to build reasonable regulations while proactively addressing city concerns. With that being said, our conversations with industry leaders have made it pretty obvious that we're only scratching the surface in what's possible. And that's with not only business models, but also vehicle shapes, sizes, and capabilities. So we expect to see a variety of New and fun designs emerging in the near future, honestly. And those designs will stretch the definition of what's considered to be micromobility. It's going to be an exciting transformation and journey, and I can't wait to see what else comes next.